knocking it out of the park. Ready your ears. Time to test your ability to mansplain. Enjoy the ride. Here we go. Another podcast from the men at the Sex and Love. Mansplained Podcast. Never disappointing and never monotonous. Stay tuned to absorb and experience real discussions for and about real people. There to Divorce Devil episode 35 and Sex and Love Mansplain podcast number eight. We have Todd Dean on the mic. Todd has a, a story past and he has some special skills. But today we're going to talk about why women are single, the eternal question. So, Todd, I'll have you take it away and I have some questions for you in between, but go ahead and knock it out. Well, Dr. Love, first of all, thanks for having me. But more importantly, I'd be curious why they call you Dr. Love. <laughs> because I've been divorced 10 years and I've, okay. honed, I've honed my skills I'll of love. And I am in love. I have, I, I, have, I have some titles, but that's not one of them. I'll tell you. <laughs> you got to stay for a while to be Dr. Love. That's right. Yeah. So thank you for having me on this podcast. Uh, a little of my background. Uh, I grew up in Montana. I uh, moved to Seattle in my... Um, Ended up selling life insurance for a number of years, did very well. Got did the traditional American thing, dated, got married, I'm engaged, got married, had the house, you know, the whole deal. But I got divorced in 1999, which leads to this hopping today. And, you know, you're thinking, what does a guy have anything to do or anything to say about women, right? I have Definitely not. Point. And what happened was in 1999, early 2000, 2001, 2002, you know, I was living in downtown Seattle, which was fun back then, down in Belltown, Cassie, Betcha, Queen City Grill, you know, the Frontier Room and many other fun places. I was... Uh, what you call a player back then or a playboy. And I didn't have a problem dating. Uh, I didn't have a problem meeting women and I didn't have a problem with the other curricular activities that go along with that topic. Definitely. You know, I, through the series, a lot of these wonderful, wonderful women that I would meet were complaining and they're saying, where are the men? If I had a dollar for every time the woman said, I'm going to write a book on my dating experiences, I'd have enough to take us to Vegas a few times there, Dr. Love. Wow. Is, is that topic still stands today? And I'm thinking, what's going on? There's a disconnect here because I don't have a problem meeting women. And then, but these women are complaining not meeting the right guys. Now, to be clear, I was not the right guy for a committed long term relationship during those years. But the thing was, is there was just a, so I just, this is back in my drinking days. I don't drink anymore by choice. And the thing was, is I started wondering why. You know, why is this? And so I started interviewing women, you know, as part of my drinking and, and carousing and all that. And I just started asking questions. And what was interesting is I started asking questions and um, it, it just kind of fell to me in, in pieces like a jigsaw puzzle. And the pieces just started coming together where I developed a theory and then I started interviewing women on this theory. Now I, I can say confidently uh, I used to keep track of the number of women. And after 100, then I got 200, 300, 400. After 500, I'm done counting. It was the same that, thing, the same answers. 
Exactly. The same. They kind of had this aha experience like, oh, my gosh, I've never looked at it that way or I've never heard this before. Uh, and especially, again, from a, from, a, from a guy. So here's a theory. is that I'm writing this book called Why Women Are Single. That's the title of the book. And um, about 35, 40% written. So it's just not a top priority for me today. But one of these days, we'll get it done. And I started asking women, or excuse me, as, as I developed this theory, what happened is when I, I was originally going to title the book The Millennium Woman, because 20 years ago, millennium had a different terminology than it does today. Mm-hmm. And so, and what I meant by this terminology is there's these really strong, independent women, they're financially secure, they can live with or without a man, and they can live with or without kids. Well, that's still true as of today. And so the term today, which if you Google, is, is called the current modern-day independent woman. You should have an acronym for it, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know who came up with that title, right? Certainly wasn't a man. Um, but the reality is this current modern-day independent woman, is, is you have to look at kind of the history of time with women. So prior to 1920 and 1917, where, is a, where was a woman's place in society prior to 1920? 1921 in the bedroom, in the house, in the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. And so why that's important is because back then you had kind of this passive subservient type of role in, in the house. And then as history has changed, that pendulum has swung from one end to the other. So you don't have June cleavers today. And so why is that relevant? You know, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's, you know, women's suffrage was, was an important factor in, in women's society and in our society as a whole, how women are in our society. Uh, women's suffrage started in Europe and in the Netherlands uh, and then migrated through Germany and Scandinavia and then came to the U.S. But the question is, who was the biggest proponent and speaker of, of women's suffrage in the U.S.? Was you know? it men? Mark Twain. Oh, amen. Yeah. Mark Twain. I mean, who would go figure a man is supporting women's suffrage in the U.S.? Now, the bigger question is, who was Mark Twain's biggest influences in his life? Must have been his mom. His mom and his wife, Olivia and Harriet. And he, he's on, that's on record. Okay. That's important. We'll come back to that. So as time changed, you know, women got the right to vote in 1919 and 1921. What did have a significant impact was World War II. That's where women were introduced to the workplace. And Rosie the Riveter being the most iconic figure of that time, you know, really showing, you know, where women were in society. But the crazy thing is, is when the men came back from the war, women went digressed and went back to their traditional roles. And so if you look, Hollywood very much depicts how women are in a society, uh, past, current, and, and in the future as well. Well, I'm projecting the future, but back then, these shows were like Leave it to Beaver, Ozzy and Harriet, Lucille Ball, the Stepford Wives, and, they, and all of those shows, you had those traditional role models of how women were in society. Now, here's something, this is the Todd opinion, so you're not going to find this one in the books, but it's just my opinion. I think the biggest reason and the biggest movement for the women's movement came from a woman that would not give up her seat on a bus. Mm. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. Now, who was the biggest proponent and speaker for Rosa Parks? Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Yep. 
And Martin Luther King was saying, hey, equality and rights for all, not based on Black Lives Matter, not based on, you know, heritage or anything. He said, listen, all lives matter and equality for all. And I think that really started the women's movement, which went into the 60s. And then you had Jane Fonda and, and Lily Tomlin and and Mary, I think it was Marianne Williams, Marianne, uh, I forget her last name, um, and and many, many, many other women that really kind of led that charge for the women's movement in the 60s and 70s. Now, here's the crazy thing. It took about 20 to 25 years for our society to really adopt women in our society. And here we have, you know, Kamala Harris, you know, our vice president now. So we've come a long ways, right? So the pendulum did swing from one end to the other, but it's like big deal, right? You know, we know this, you know, what big deal. It is a big deal. And let me explain why. Because if you look, and I could use any public example, I could use church, I could use Starbucks, I could use Costco, I could use the workplace, I could use uh, the park, I could use any public setting. Okay, but I'm going to use the setting of a bar only because it illustrates the example well. So what happens is you have this current modern-day independent woman that walks in the door, right? She automatically intimidates 80% of the men in the room. I'm talking walking in the door. So those are the gentlemen that don't have the balls or the cojones to come up and say hello. So they're out. Then you're left with 20% or more are gay, neither here nor there. And then you're left with the final 10%, which are what, Dr. Love? Us. Us. That's exactly Us. right. The players. <laughs> and to be clear here, players has a very negative connotation. Yep. And to be quite frank, it did have a negative connotation yep. back then for me. Uh, but the reality is, is the 10% of the players are the guys that have the confidence to go up and say hello to the woman. And now the question to the women is, you know, what woman wants to be in a relationship with a player? Well, maybe short term. I don't know. But the reality is, is that's not going to be a long term relationship more than likely. But what happens when the woman's a player? That's a good question. So we're <laughs> going to turn the tables. So let's that's a great question. So let's say the woman, because the 80 percent of the men in the room, that's where the diamonds are in the rough. That's where the quality relationships are. Right. Back in the early 1990s, Cosmopolitan, I happened to be reading it for whatever reasons. And there's this article that said, uh, what women look for in a relationship. You know, and so they had all these short-term and long-term relationships. So I was, you know, I was reading that magazine like it was the Bible, right? But in, the, in this article, it talked about how most women that ended up in these long-term relationships were not initially attracted to the man. So for women, love grows, and it grows as they develop and, and develop that bond in that relationship. Of course, us as guys, we're the opposite. Bam. The guys in the room, that's where the quality relationships. But let's say to your point, let's say the woman goes up and talks to one of the guys. What's the first thought that goes through that guy's head? This is mine. I'm yeah, in there. Yeah, well, he wants Yeah, she wants me. Now, here's the thing. After interviewing 500 women, that's not what they're thinking. What are they thinking? They're thinking, hey, you know, I'd like to, you know, I like this guy or, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't, the point is, that's not what they're thinking. I like to get to know you. 
Yeah, so there's a disconnect. So a woman is damned if she does. And damned if she doesn't. Damned if she doesn't. And that's reality even today. And we wonder why women are complaining that they're not finding the relationships. 100% of the odds, give or take, are against her on both sides of the equation. So I'm saying blame on both sides of the room. Yeah, absolutely. So the question is, what's the solution, right? Because that's what we're here to talk about. So again, coming from the guy that's been around the block, which again, this is not about me. This is about what I've learned from all these conversations. So here's the answer. So number one, we have to talk about the men. Okay. You and I have these buddies. They're the 80 percenters. They used to say, Todd, how do you get these women? How do you date these fantastic women and blah, blah, blah. And um, as a side note, you know, and again, I'm not proud of this today, but you know, my nickname was bookends. (laughs) And I I learned this years later. I go, bookends, I don't get it. They go, dude, every time we saw you, you had a good looking girl on the left and a good looking girl on the right. (laughs) And I'm going, damn straight. (laughs) But you know, it's a rite of passage. Women do it too. Men do it too. It's, It's almost like every relationship you have, you have to look and improve on the next one. Absolutely. And hopefully not take baggage from the last one, too. That's very, very, very true. Delivered discussion, which we won't talk about today. Yeah. But the point is that uh, the men, there's there's a disconnect. So I'm going to I'm, I'm going to do the short version because we're uh, because of time today. And in the book, it's a, it's much more in depth. But long story short is in the 60s and 70s, the divorce rate shot up in the U.S. And you had these women mothering these children, these children, including boys, including my mom. And back then, we thought that women could replace the male role, role model as far as raising their sons. Okay. We, we know that's not the case today. Even when fathers are not the best figures, it's still important for that young boy to have a male role model in their life. So back then, my mom said, hey, boys don't cry. Boys don't fight. You know, it's okay to show your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a great, great book called Wild at Heart uh, written by John Eldridge. Uh, it's a Christian-based book. It's about really about a man finding himself within himself in a relationship with God before he does anything in life. Mm-hmm. In that book, it talks about three characteristics. One is a fight for fight for adventure. So that's how you know we like our sports. We like to play sports. We like to watch sports. We like to build things, whether it's a, a cabin or a company. And, and that's just an inherent nature of a man. The second one uh, is a fight for romance. And that's how we will always protect women. So there have been many times where I've been in situations where I stood up for a woman publicly and, and vice versa, where I've seen situations where men stood up for women, whether it's a queen or whether it's or someone in distress. That's an inherent nature of a man. The third one is a fight for battle. And that's how two guys can literally beat the heck out of each other in the street and then go back in the bar and be best friends. So back in the 70s, is masculinity as a whole got watered down in society. And it wasn't, again, I'm not trying to point or put blame anywhere. I'm just saying it, it just it just happened through the way, you know, parenting and so on. And the thing is, is that hasn't even changed today. So I hear so you saying still, that, that the watering down of masculinity equals the 80%. That's exactly right. Wow. That's exactly right. So that's where I'm saying is that guys, you know, and I'm not promoting violence or fighting, but here's the thing. It's inherent nature for boys to fight. And, and you can take away all the guns in the world. And here's the thing. Boys will make guns with sticks, with paper, with their crackers. It's an inherent nature. Correct. So we've got to support that masculinity 
and raising our sons to be the men that they are today. The man getting out of his chair and going up and saying hello to the woman. And then wherever it goes, it goes. So just the fact the man gets up and says hi, that's to break the ice. That's the the first step. You don't have to have a game. Just go say hi. The game helps. And that includes being, yeah, it it does. (laughs) But that includes men being physically responsible. It includes them being monogamous. That includes them uh, being good fathers and husbands. It includes when they have their issues that they go to counselor and go to groups to work on their issues, whether it's anger issues or drinking, whatever. In my opinion, we've got, as men, as a society, we have to step up. Okay. Now, let's get to the women. The pendulum swung from this end all the way over here from prior to 1920s to current day modern tent. Problem is, and I, I had in, in the 500 women, I had six women say, you're completely full of shit, Todd. Of the six women, one of the women was the former MSN editor for, for Microsoft. And she goes, we've earned that. You know, we, we, we have women's right. We've earned that degree. We, you know. You think, because I say, hey, listen, the answer is you've got to swing back in on the pendulum. And she goes, if you think I'm going to swing back in, you're full of it, right? I looked at her and I said, listen, I don't care whether you remain single the rest of your but I can tell you this, as far as you stay that far out on the spectrum, you're going to be hanging out with your female tribes. You're going to be, you know, reading books and you're not going to have that relationship that ideally internally you would love to have. So the answer is women have got to swing back in on the pendulum. So is it a fact of being more feminine, maybe? No. Well, yes and no. The answer is yes, but they've got to be more accepting for our screw-ups, more forgiving, more accepting with having boundaries. And I want to be clear about that because they've got to protect themselves. Here in Sun Valley, and I I introduced you to a great guy. I mean, this guy's loyal. He's He's like a Labrador. And he has the same interest as her. And I hooked him up over dinner. And she goes, I don't have any interest in meeting a man. And I'm sitting there thinking, here's the perfect type of guy that would fit your personality of what you haven't had. And she's so jaded and so far out here on the spectrum, she's not even open to it. And, you know, I think it's sad for her. Now, again, I'm not God. So he has his own place with, with her for whatever reasons and vice versa. But here's my point is if women swing back into the pendulum, we're never going back to the old days. Those days are gone. Yep. Ozzie and Harriet, June Cleaver, gone, right? But what I am saying is there's got to be swinging back in on the pendulum and, and, this, and giving up the control. And I had women say, you can't use that word. I go, yeah, I can. I go, because that's the word that I mean. I go, but here's the best part of this whole podcast. So in this case... The best part of this whole podcast today is women get their cake and ice cream in the story. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if women give up control and swing back in on the pendulum, and here's where it gets good. Behind any great man in the history, my question is, you know, the, the women actually get their cake and ice cream in this case. And so if they swing back in on the pendulum and give up control, and I literally mean give up, and I'm saying, again, not going all the way to the extreme, but here's the thing, is in the history of time in the U.S. and in the world, behind every dignitary, every war general, behind every president, prime minister, dignitary, 
There's always what? A woman behind him. There's always a woman. For example, I saw a piece on um, Nancy Reagan. And man, she ran the White House. That's exactly It was phenomenal. So here's the thing. Is that in the history of time, women have always been the controllers. So you say that women give up control but they always have control, no matter That's how exactly much control right. they give That's up. That's exactly right. <laughs> so I had one guy, I was sure this is we're couples and stuff, and everyone's getting into this conversation. And the guy goes, you're saying my wife has more control over me. And he, he lost his shit. He got up and left the room. And you know what the wife said? What? She goes, you're spot on, write the book. <laughs> After he left, laughed. of course. After here's he left. Thing. Here's the thing. Is if women swing back in on the pendulum, they're still in control. Yeah, they still run things. But the yeah. problem is, is they're so far out on the spectrum, they're so far out of, on the edge that they can't have any man in their life. The 80% are scared, man. They are scared. Now, here's the crazy thing. If women swing back in and if men step up to the plate, that will exponentially change the numbers dramatically. Dramatically. So how about if one of the 80 percenters just steps out of his comfort zone and you yeah. still have the women swung all the way over here, can he push you back a little bit? Absolutely. Okay. So to come full circle, who is the biggest proponent and speaker of women's suffrage in the United States? Currently? No. Oh. Back in the early, in oh. 1917, 1918, 1919. Did you say Mark Twain? Mark Twain. Mark Twain, okay. So it comes full circle, and his two biggest influences in his life were his mother and his wife. So wow. that is why women are single today. And so all things have to do, the women relax a little bit, the men step up a little bit, and they meet in the middle. Well, it's not even the middle. It's the side a little bit, the women's side. Yeah, but it's true. Men at this age, or even younger, are afraid to Go up to a woman and say hi, or even just break the ice. Hi, you look pretty today. That's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. That's, exactly. so that's all I got. I mean, I, I have a lot more, but not different topics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you want to tell the, uh, the listeners what you do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey. You know, I, I had a part in being a player in a, in a train wreck, quite frankly. And I did the traditional things, counseling, books, you know, Tony Robbins, all these seminars and stuff, and, and nothing was working. Finally, I stumbled into some different methodologies in the about 2005, 2006. And what happened is my life slowly started getting healthier. And I was in a, I had a very public persona in the Seattle community, uh, in the business world. And then I had this train wreck personal relationship going on. Okay. And I'm, I'm equally responsible for the, the train wreck part in that relationship. Okay. She has a mental disorder. I had my issues. So what happened is that relationship blew up spectacularly in 2010. And, and, but I was able to be grounded and healthy despite all this chaos. And then I was involved with an investor group called Kiritsu Forum. And then I was working with our investors, was brought in to work with some of our portfolio companies to work with the CEOs. And so I realized there was a correlation between what I had just learned about myself 
And so I started working with CEOs on the you know, capital management structure side, but also on the psychology side. I'm not a counselor for the record, but I started working with CEOs and that morphed into working with women. Just God, you know, God willing, it wasn't my plan. And about 90% of the individuals started, I just started working with young adults, which I'm very careful about that. And there's lots of parameters, but I'm building a, a new type of wellness center, which we literally have some of the top psychiatrists, uh, counselors in the country, um, uh, neurologists, the brain doctors. Um, and we've incorporated some different methodologies to work on changing the patterns of behavior, which end up being addictions, depression, suicide, and mental health issues. And so I've been working on this for three and a half years. It's very exciting. Um, and it's called Sanjara Wellness. Uh, you're welcome to check it out. Uh, the website is not current because we've got a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, but when the time's right, we'll update everything. All right. So it's about making the world a better place. Well, Mr. Todd, Mr. Todd Dean, I appreciate um, what you said was spot on. I can think back now in my history and, and seeing all those efforts. Uh, my girlfriend now, uh, she did not like me at first. <laughs> And I didn't like her. You know, we, we were two different spots and uh, we came together in the end. So what you say is spot on. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And I'm on this podcast because of a woman. <laughs> thank you, Peggy. Shout out to Peggy. For, Peggy, for sure. Peggy. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. And thanks uh, to Mr. Dean for, for giving his thoughts and all that good stuff. And definitely have him on the show again because I think he has some more to say. I'm not sure we got everything out today. We'll see. Thank right. you, Dr. Love. Right. I love that. I love that nickname. Man. I wish I had that nickname. <laughs>